You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Yo. What's tonight's show brought to you by? Margs at the Silver Bullet. Elevation training pays off. Okay. Cool. You guys got like, I hear like crickets and shit over there. Yeah, the windows are open. Yeah, it's um, like 60 degrees outside. Is it annoying? No, I can just hear them. I mean, is it's it not a, like a big it's like peace, Is it like peaceful background noise? Like no, totally Colorado, bro? Shut the door. No, I mean, it's fairly peaceful, I guess, if you're into crickets and shit. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Long, brought to you by Altitude Training and Driving Our Super Fans Crazy with Improper Use of the Word Altitude. All right, let's get going on tonight's show. Why are you shaking your head at me? Was that supposed to be just an inside joke and not telling the whole internet? No, I was going to talk about how well Adam did at his race after training at altitude, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then as the closing argument, I was going to be like, hey, by the way, you trained at elevation, you fly at altitude. Oh, well, it's fine. We can we can still roll with it. So how how is altitude training going to pay off? Do you want to go ahead and just roll right into that? It's not a joke anymore because we've already fucking discussed the entire thing top to bottom. You can still talk about Adam. Okay. So where this all started is a guy from Memphis named Adam Murphy came out and did... He was a special guest one time, wasn't he? Yeah, he did some training at elevation, some high elevation training, as I've been corrected by Jake. You, you fly at an altitude and it, a the ground changes in elevation, so you don't train at altitude unless you're flying a plane. Um, but he came out and did a big weekend, and this weekend, or this yeah, just this weekend, he got fifth overall at a, at a race down in Mississippi. So congratulations to him. Uh, we talked a little bit, and he said something along the lines of like, he doesn't remember what it was now, but I told him something during <laughs> our ride that helped him, and... That's that's cool. So great. That's awesome. He learned how to be a little bit tougher in Colorado. Just a because tiny it's bit. all uphill. It's it's all uphill or kicking you in the face as you go downhill. That was my favorite part of the brief time that I was around with when Kenny was here. Was when Kenny was like, "Is there a trail we can ride?" Like he's like, "Where's the trail that's just that's like not all climbing?" <laughs> and then it's like it's all climbing, right, Kenny? Uh, sure. That was it. Um, Adam raced, and it was good for him. Yeah. That's awesome. Kenny, did you do hard knocks or not? Yeah, I did hard knocks. How was it? It was good. I had a really good day. Uh, so Was it stupidly hot like last year? It was hot, but it was not, um, it was not as hot as, I think, the year that we raced at Andrea. I think it was probably a few degrees cooler than that day. That was really terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was probably 5 or 10 degrees cooler, but the deal is it's still, well, you know, here's it's Mississippi, a- and it's 100% humidity, which really, really sucks. And they also do, they did the course backwards. So, oh, so you didn't have, like, a good rollout. No, you have the rollout. Like, it's weird. So the starting portion, so maybe the first, I don't know, the first few miles, the first three miles, let's say, and the last three miles are about the same. Oh, okay. And then all the little loops after that, they do them backwards. Okay. And it's not nearly as fun. Um, like the climbing is, uh, the climbing is punchier, and it just wasn't. I don't know. It was okay, but I mean, it's just a bunch of climbing and a bunch of tree gates. Basically, did it, did it start on time this year? Uh, no, but it was closer. So <laughs> I forget, how late was it? It was that, like forty that minutes you... late. It was like an hour or so. Uh, the year that, just got that we did it, yeah, and it, yeah, it did definitely. Just we just get sat there hotter. and got hotter and hotter, and then it started late. Yeah, what's interesting about it is, and you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to rail on the race because I mean, it's compared to a lot of other races as far as like payout goes and stuff. They do a really good job, and they get like a lot of local sponsors on board. Yeah, and, like, I mean, I thought they did all right, other than the on time thing. Yeah, and, I mean, they, they get, can't control know, the weather. No, of course not, and they get. You know, they get Red Bull and, like, all kinds of people in on the thing, and they get all kinds of cool free stuff, and so that's neat. Um, 
But they just what I don't get about it is every year, like a hundred plus people show up to the thing. It's not tiny. And yeah. they haven't figured out like you need more than one person working a table to give out a hundred people's numbers in less than an hour. I I mean I just that's weird to me, but um anyway, so that's you know, I sat in line. I got there like kinda early and I sat there in a line for like thirty minutes and just sat there and I couldn't really do anything about it. And like, that's kind of annoying, but not a huge deal. Uh, but all in all, I mean, on, on the important side of things, um, I had a pretty good day. I haven't been doing like a lot of like crazy training or anything, uh, but I've not been like completely, uh, slacking. So yeah, it went well. Um, it's hard to compare because I've done it twice before and I've got times to compare to, but unfortunately it's a different course. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff where it's, it's different backwards. Yeah, I think it was a it was a mile or two longer in total, for some weird reason I don't know why, um, and also a lot of the portions are backwards, um, and again I don't know what the actual forward and backward is, but backwards from when we did it before, and it just wasn't something about it just wasn't it didn't feel it felt harder. The the punchier stuff was punchier, and it was yeah yeah. It did have a lot of just like steep rooty stuff. It was yeah. rough. Like, there's not a smooth spot, really, on that course. No, and that's something that's also very interesting. I was just tired at the end of the day. I mean, not just legs, but everything. Just, you have to be on top of your game, and it's tough to even do anything. Just have a goo, for example. You have to really plan all that out. And I really did. I taped all my goos to my top tube. I did all that good stuff. So, again, my day went super smooth. I actually packed in everything I needed for a little over four hours on the bike, and I did one camelback and I did like one. So I did 80 ounces and it worked out perfect. I like, I was done at the end. So I drank like, you know, a little over 15 ounces per hour, which for me, I'm not a huge person. Um, that's, that's about normal for me. If it's insanely hot, I'll do 20 ounces. If it's cool out, I'll do. That's not actually minutes. like, that's not a lot if it's, if it's pretty warm. Yeah. I'm weird though. Um, well, yeah, don't, you are. You don't, don't say. Yeah. I don't require <laughs> a lot of water for whatever reason, which I guess is cool. But anyway, yeah, I don't uh, remember you like sweating a ton. I, I'm no, like, I, I can basically people could shower in my sweat. That is fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for that. So. That was almost disastrous because as she said that, I'm drinking out of a water bottle. <laughs> you almost shower the computer with. I I thought water. I was gonna have like a die a near death coughing fit. <laughs> that is not good. So anyway, I went in with the strategy of, hey, I'm going to not stop anywhere because that's just a good thing. Like, Yeah, hey, yeah, definitely. If you don't take five minutes stopping, you know, just a minute or two, three times, like that's a really a big deal. Like five minutes is, that's like, that's a huge deal. So I did not stop at all. I have, uh, if you look at my Garmin, I have had literally zero seconds of stopping, which is awesome. So that's the bike... Great. My bike never stopped, so everything went good there. The bike was perfect as far as mechanical. So I got something to talk about. Um, I talk got those. If I'm going to talk about it, it's going to be fucking crazy. So I got those SRAM guide brakes, which I think I talked about. Yeah, yeah. You said they, they were pretty good so, so far. Yeah, so I just did like some short rides on it. But anyway, I did a much longer ride with like some fast ascending and late braking and all that good stuff. And I am happy to report that they are pretty awesome. So And you didn't die. No, like they no. didn't so, fail. <laughs> they did not. The brakes did not fail. They have a really good feel to them. And yeah, I had no issues. They, you can really, you can get on them super, super late. Uh, no crazy noises or anything like that. Again, they are, if, for people who are curious what they're like compared to other brakes, if for whatever reason you have ridden the four piston hopes, <laughs> they feel more like those than any other brake out there. Because everyone has ridden four piston hub brakes. Can well, you? I mean, I hope at some point people have because they used to be good brakes. They suck shit now, but <laughs> um, they used to be good brakes. So anyway, long story short is on the braking side of things. Awesome. Really, really happy with them. Uh, so if you anybody's on the fence about them, and unfortunately I can't tell you. They could break next week. I have no idea. But from a lever I feel. I hope they break next week. Yeah, from a lever feel. <laughs> No, I mean they're brakes. They should break. Yes, if they explode, uh, next oh. then yeah, that would be a problem. But anyway, really good a- lever feel. They didn't like change throughout the ride because um, sometimes my hopes, like with temperature change or just using them real heavy for a while, like they just 
the amount of free stroke and the lever would change a little bit, not like catastrophically bad, but it was just noticeable and I'd have to like tweak them every now and again. But, uh, so far so good on the brakes. So yeah, that's really good. Uh, what else about the day? Nothing like super eventful. Honestly, I rode with two of my uh, teammates and we just rode pretty much the entire, uh, race together. They stopped, um, to do like, I don't know, popping pills or changing out bottles and like some other (laughs) little stuff, you know, they would stop for like 30 seconds at an aid station. And then, uh, I just said, see ya. And I kept riding uh-huh. um, and it, cause they were having a pretty strong day and then they would catch me up again and then we'd all ride together. Um, cause they were kind of using me to pace. Oh yeah. Um, cause I guess they just don't have quite as much experience with like doing a little bit of a longer ride, kind of that mid, that mid endurance. Yeah. Ride. Yeah. Where you can't just, you can't like be like, Oh, it's a race. I'm going to go as fast as I can. Yeah, you can't just go ham. Like, you can go ham for two hours. That's great, but then you're going to be in trouble. Um, so, anyway, yeah, I did that, and everything worked out really well. Uh, and they were feeling pretty darn good at the end, and I was, like, not feeling super awesome. So, um, probably with, a, I don't know, maybe three miles left or so, uh, another guy, um, we thought we had a pretty big gap, and one of the guys caught us. Uh-oh. So, John and Jacob went out really hard. Uh, at that last section, and it was really worked out good for me because dude tried to chase him, and John and Jacob blew that guy up and blew him up so hard that I flew past him. <laughs> that's <laughs> good. Pretty cool. We didn't plan on that, but that's just how it worked out. So, yeah, yeah. We, we ended up uh, we ended up uh, eight, eighth, ninth, and tenth. So we were um, all uh, within one minute of each other, which is really cool. So that was all really good. Uh, what else? What else? I don't know. That was kind of it. I mean, it was it was hard. It's always kind of hard. I mean, it's not like an easy course. That is. It's just like a really rough and like twisty. It's hard to keep any momentum on that course. Yeah, you have to be on your game. Uh, and you can really tell when you're fresh at the beginning, not just your legs, but when you're fresh mentally and you're fresh, you know, like upper body and all that, uh, you can really rail that single track. But when you're starting to get tired, you go slower for a lot of reasons. One, because your like, legs are tired. Um, but two, just because you start to lose concentration and your upper body's tired, like your, your palms are getting a little rubbed, a little raw, just all that kind of stuff. Um, and that slows you down. So yeah, uh, all in all cool, uh, cool race and no issues. So I feel, I feel good about that. I was a few, unfortunately I was a few minutes slower than my previous years, but again, I think, with yeah, it's just being, a different course. Yeah. The course being longer and also judging by other people who I know have gotten faster. So Laureen, for example, and she said she had a solid day cause I asked her, um, and she ended up going maybe 15 minutes slower than her previous best time, uh-huh. but she said she had a really good day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I suspect, and also just from looking at my time, cause I felt just as good as I have in years past, if not better. And I was about 10 or 15 minutes slower than my previous year's time. So anyway, with all that said, it's just a little bit slower of a course, I think, uh, but yeah. not, a, not a huge deal. Um, but yeah, that was, that's kind of my weekend. I don't think there's anything else going on. I'm trying to think if I changed anything. I did buy an oval ring, uh, but I have not put it on the bike yet. It should be on next week. So I can, I can talk about that if it sucks or whatever. Yeah. You've got to like commute and do a bunch of rides and, you know, let us know how it goes. Yeah, I will do it. Uh, anything else? bike related anything else has changed i think that's it uh so what have you guys been up to uh i got my qom back on the mountain lion trail uh sweet i have no idea what any of that is (laughs) uh so golden gate canyon which i've talked about before because it's awesome and it's like right behind the shop um there's this one loop called mountain lion like Uh that's just the trail name um, and it's like burly. It's you, it's like a hard climb to get to the top of it. And then the descent is like one of the most physical descents you've ever done. Like the top speed isn't crazy. Like till you get to near the bottom of it. Um, but like, it's just, it's hard. Like it's, it's technical and like it's rocky and it's just a really, really hard descent. And, uh, like earlier in the year, like my fastest time on it. This is terrible that I'm talking about Strava racing, by the way. I know that. Like, you, no one has to make fun of me because I'll make fun of myself. I already have a little bit. Uh, but anyway, so it's like one of my favorite descents, and I, I like set the Strava record on it 
just out riding by myself and it was early in the year when the like the it's like Deer Creek or something that runs right through it um the creek was way up because of snowmelt and so I had to like get off and walk across all the log crossings because they're like one log ride and I'm one log wide and I'm not very good at those sort of things and I'm afraid I'm going to fall off so I like set the QOM even like walking across all the creek crossings and there's like six creek crossings and now it's down low enough that I can ride across all of them so we did a shop ride on Saturday and we got to the the top and everyone's kind of like regrouping and about to go down and I'm like hey I'm just gonna go and you know I want to like see how fast I can go down this thing and it was like 18 minutes or something and I ended up turning a time of like 12 minutes and seven seconds or something. Matt followed me and I, I was amazed. I was on the Mach six and he was on his hardtail and he basically kept up because I'd be going like real fast and like just killing it and would start to pull away from him. But then I'd be I'd like, I lose focus for just a second or like just bobble one spot and, and he wouldn't and he'd catch up to me. And so we did that, like, all the way down. And then there were a couple hikers near the bottom. There's, like, a couple with a dog that got scared because we rode up on bikes and, like, stopped to, like, say, you know, like, pet the dog and make sure the dog was okay. And, like, and just, we just, like, freaking killed it, but it was exhausting. It was, like, one of those descents where, like, even though you may only pedal, like, five or six times you get to the bottom and your whole body is like burning and you're out of breath and your heart rate's way up. Like it's just, it's, it's hard, but it's awesome. Like it's one of the best to say, Kenny, if you come up here, we've got to do it. Awesome. Because you'll love it. So whereabouts is it? It is in Golden Gate Canyon State Park. So that's why like Matt didn't take you up there when you came up before, because it's, it's takes, it's like a good 45 minutes from, or 50 minutes. It's almost an hour, basically, from where he lives. Okay. Yeah, it, I mean, uh, it's just... like north or south? Uh, west. Like, into the mountains. Oh, okay. A little north and west. Gotcha. Yeah, just straight up in the mountains. So it's, it's like, high elevation and... Or, what? El- elevation, yeah. Jake's got me self-conscious about <laughs> whether I'm saying elevation or altitude now. Uh, but, yeah, I did that, and... I don't know, I haven't... I did a really fun loop yesterday that involved a bunch of the local trails, but I don't really have to go through that because it's not that exciting unless you know all of the trails. I I want to talk about following Andrea down that descent. It, <laughs> so you definitely pedaled more than five or six times on the hardtail. There was a lot of times that I would get I would get snagged up and I would just have to pedal to follow her. To stay on her wheel, and I never got more than probably twenty yards off. He got uh, just out of earshot, so he's got an i nine rear hub, and there were probably only like three times when I couldn't hear him behind me. But then I would like screw a spot up, and he would catch up. Yeah, I never hear Matt behind me because he has to. Uh, he always has to pedal when I'm in front. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> to squeeze that one out for a month. <laughs> I I don't think that's true. <laughs> I I I want to go on record and say I don't I don't think that is uh, 100% true. <laughs> Just to clear the record, but um maybe at Iron Mountain in Arkansas since Kenny's been there 15 times and you've been there <laughs> once. I have a feeling I could follow Kenny just about damn near anywhere now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Basically here, like, once you move here within a few months, if you if you do it right. Yeah, you either quit mountain biking or you get good at going downhill. Like, you, no, no, that's not true because there are a lot of people here that suck going downhill, and that really surprised me. No, they don't go mountain biking. They go fucking ride around in the woods with their friends and stop every 15 minutes. That's not mountain biking. Okay. But, yeah, like, if you do it right once you're here, you get used to going, like, five miles per hour faster. Like, it's just more comfortable. It's like the people that, like, the downhill dudes that ride moto. It's so that they can always be, like, they just get comfortable going, you know, 30 miles an hour through the woods. 
but that's that's sort of how it is when you move here. Like you can get comfortable going really fast through the woods, so you just get faster going downhill. Like if you actually allow yourself to do that. But apparently, there are a lot of people that don't. Because there are definitely some people. Like I learned at the Winter Park Cross Country Series, I, I expected everyone to be like decent at going downhill, and there are a lot of people that are not decent at going downhill. Well. Again, so there was a lot of times that I would get a little jammed up and I would have to put in some pretty hard pedal strokes to keep everything closed down. And I knew that following Andrea would help me, but at the same time, and I'm not just undermining her, there was definitely times that she jammed up and I, and I was able to close the gap. There was probably nearly as many times she jammed up and I had to slow down as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I did, did it very smooth. Like I, afterwards, I was like, I probably left at least a minute out there of just like screwing up a turn or like almost wrecking and being on the brakes too hard or, you know, whatever. Like I, I definitely, I, I could have, there's a lot of room for improvement there for me. I guess what I meant is I, I didn't just keep up because you had some flub ups. I also slowed down. Right. When you have Yeah, bikes. I mean you're fast on your hard deal. We've it's we've established sick. this. It's sick. I love it. We that have bike. established that you're fast on a hard deal. It's fun. Yeah. Um, so for those of you out there, it, I'll tell you the new thing that I'm doing. And it's really sketchy and it's really dumb. And we we played an episode from the past, uh a November twenty twelve episode and Kenny didn't listen to it, but it's pretty much saying you can't run a bite designed for a regular fork with a G2 fork, and you can't run a bite designed for G2 with a regular fork. And I want to clear the air on that a little bit. Since then, we've seen that people that are advertising bicycles, especially, well, 29ers, with multiple geometry types if it's a more cross country oriented bike, many times they're recommending that you run a 100 millimeter traditional 46 or 47 millimeter offset fork. And if you run a 120 millimeter fork, it's best if you run a G2 offset fork that's 51 millimeter offset. The, the 51 millimeter offset makes the bike handle faster while the longer axle to crown of a 120 fork makes the bike handle slower. I think we've discussed that before a little bit. But totally clearing the air of that. I'm now riding a Trek Superfly Elite Carbon with a non-G2 120mm pike. And for those of you that are interested, the head tube angle ends up really close. It's within half a degree of a Niner Ross 9 at 120 and the trail number, the millimeters of trail offset, is within about three millimeters of a Niner Ross 9 at 120. Basically, I have a carbon fiber Ross 9 that weighs nothing and pedals uphill <laughs> like a banshee. It does. Carbon it, hardtails it, really, they climb pretty freaking great. So, question the only thing I can see about that whole thing is hold like, on. I, agree, I agree with all that stuff. Hold on, hold on. Let me say this. Under. Under six miles an hour uphill, it is a little tedious to hold the front wheel in line. That's the only complaint I have about it. It does want to flop. So sure. go ahead. That's the that's the only thing that I wanted to add in before you. No, asked. no, no. I was just wondering about because you know there's a lot more to a bike than just doing whatever you can do to the front end of the bike to get the head tube angle or your trail number or whatever where you want. Because the problem can come up where on that bike, the only problem I could see is that possibly your bottom bracket's going to be a little bit higher than you might want. And while that may be true, uh, remember my Specialized Crave had an adjustable bottom bracket, and that never sure. bothered me. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that there's a lot, there's more that goes into a bike other than just like a chainstay length and like a head tube angle and a trail number, because then all those things have to work while maintaining say like your bottom bracket height or whatever else you're looking for. So um anyway, that that's all I've got. Correct. I understand that. And the the things that I was 
planning to measure, but I just don't have those tools here at my house. And I haven't taken the bike back to the shop because I wanted to, I was going to use an old inner tube and tie the handlebars or tie the, the front tire and the down tube together. So the bars had to stay straight and it'd be really easy to work with, but I was going to measure the bottom bracket drop and the overall wheelbase and see what that looked like compared with the Ross nine. But I just didn't get around to it, but it's, it's really interesting. The bike rides, honestly, a whole, whole hell of a lot better than I thought it would. No, that's really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you did that experimentation and I'm sure it's not very far off. And I, I guarantee the bottom bracket's not going to be significantly different than a Ross nine. Like there's no way it could be that yeah. different. And the Ross is also an eccentric bike, so it can't be sure. It can't be for, it can't be far from a Ross in the top position. No, I, I don't. It's probably. I'll bet it's even lower than the Ross in the top position. It would be interesting to know how it, it handles on something like if you took it to Stanky Creek in Memphis. Well, I would die because my bars are seven fifty. Oh yeah, you would die. So that's the other thing. <laughs> uh, we are. My shop is a. We work or we're a big Yeti dealer, and Yeti uh, comes to us for stuff every once in a while, little stuff that they. They can't get, you know, maybe a certain brand tire or just little small parts that you you want right now. And we have a good relationship with those guys. If we have a warranty issue, they let us go pick it up, you know, for same day service for a customer if we have to. Um, and they come and see us for small parts and things that they want, like a for argument's sake, a, a certain brand tire that they're not able to buy because it's not in queue. Anyways, I was talking with their engineer, Peter. And he was really interested that I like, I told him everything that I'd done with it. And he, he thought that was, that was really neat and interesting. And what I chimed in with is, you know, I just moved here from the Southeast and I think something that lets this bike ride so well and something that lets you overcome that, that front end wheel flop that you're experiencing when you have that big bike front end is the bigger bar. You know, if you have a, a 680 millimeter bar in Memphis, you only have 680 millimeters of leverage over wheel flop. But in Colorado, where you can run a 750 bar, you have 750 millimeters of leverage over wheel flop. So you have so much more leverage, so it takes so much less effort. And it's a lot easier to control the front end because you have an extra 70 millimeters or three inches of handlebar between your hands. So I rode a Krampus with a 120 mil 46 offset fork with a 600 mil wide bar. Oh, I've ridden God. that. I've ridden that bike. Oh, and it was, God. Ex- it was extremely unpleasant. Is that like Scheidhauer or something? No, no, I won't say who it is, but it, it doesn't matter. Write it, Matt, write it down on a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what I'm saying is I've experienced the opposite of what you're talking about. Right, right. That I've been, I've ridden that exact bike. I know whose it is. Okay. That's kind of funny. Well, you can't it's, just not say anything. It's really like, I, I, I love how out here you can, you can ride a bar that's Eight, wide. You can ride an 800 bar. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I would personally be comfortable on an 800 bar, but like I'm running seven. 50 on the Mach 6 and maybe like 730 on the 429. I mean, just like, it's like, it's great. It's wonderful. Like it, it feels great to ride a wide bar because like Matt said, like you, you get like the, the leverage over the wheel flop going uphill and then it's like nice and stable downhill. And it's just, it's, it's really cool because it's funny because you see a tree like I'll, there will be like a set of trees on either side of the trail and they won't even register as something narrow, like in my head. But if you slow down and look, they've got handlebar marks all over them. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> like people, people out here can't deal with trees that are anywhere near each other. <laughs> so I definitely smoked that tree in Colorado and it had handlebar marks all over it. There's the, a tree. The one in Breckenridge that you or, did? Yeah, the one in Breckenridge. I definitely, there's a tree on Chimney Gulch right when you start going down the top. And there's a couple of roots. Oh, I think I know where you're talking about. And the tree's about. on the outside. And I kid you not, there's, there's a spot of bark missing that's <laughs> nearly the size of like a 24-ounce beer can. Like... <laughs> 
there's a there's that much bark, fresh bark missing from that tree all the time. And I'm like, how do so many people hit this tree and it hasn't just fallen down yet? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's kind of funny. So with all that said, you you will have differing results. And this is something that I've came to the conclusion over I've said this before. And I want to clarify this as well. On a previous episode, I said I wasn't picky. And that's very not true. And we left. I'm very picky. But the, the, maybe the real, I don't have to have exactly positively down to the millimeter the exact setup. Now I may prefer it or I may always wish for something a little different. In my setup, but I can ride damn near anything decently well. So with all that said, I may just be finding that the lighter weight, even slacker bike is just more fun for the riding I'm doing, but I may take it somewhere else and hate it. And that's just all there is to it. That, that may happen. And I, I fully embrace that here in the moment and and don't want to resist that. And I don't want to say that it may change, but also I think this is like a scaled down version of what Barry Wick said, like, don't ride what I'm riding, like ride what works for you because I can, I ride better than a lot of people ride. Oh man. There was a dude on uh, like a customer. Yeah. You finished. I had a customer scoff at me because we were talking about, dropper post on a hardtail and I walked into the conversation two other an employee and a customer were talking about it and I just walked up I was like it's sick I got a dropper on my hardtail and it's like the best thing ever it lets your hardtail get so rowdy and the guy was like yeah I was like you know I have a a carbon hardtail with a pike and a dropper post and he's like a pike on your race hardtail that just doesn't make any sense and I turn around and look and he has a a Santa Cruz tall boy with a Fox 32 on it. And I'm like, how the fuck does this ride? Well, like you don't know how, how a pike is going to change your bike. And when I say pike, I should say, you don't know how a stanchion size of 30 more 34 to 36 is going to improve your handling on your cross country bike until you do it. And it's a hundred percent. Definitely. Every time worth the weight, worth the weight penalty, worth the, the, the cost it's awesome. It really They're is. They're sick. I wish that SRAM would make a Pike SL, like a, a 120 only, just to like shave a little bit of weight out of it, but keep everything else that's great about it. Like, don't really lighten, don't change anything about the fork except make it, make the the uppers, the stanchions, only long enough to be 120 millimeters. So it sounds like rather than, I and I highly anticipate a Pike 35 or a Reba 35 before a Pike SL because they would want to keep the Pike into that burly bike category. Yeah. And they wouldn't because you could always put the wrong air spring in a Pike. So they'd have to have the internals just different enough so you couldn't put a longer air spring in it. How much of the good ride of the Pike, though, do you think is the Charger damper and how much do you think is the 35 mil stanchion? I think it's all the 35 is all it is. You don't think that damper is better? No, I don't. Okay. I don't care about the damper. Well, they're they're making now like a fork that's another thirty five, but it's got like a not so great damper in it. But is it the Revelation? I think it's the Yari. I want a Reba thirty five, or because the Pike SL won't happen. Just they yeah, want to no, keep no, the like, Pike burly, but Reba thirty five. I think you could get out and ride it. That would be cool. But I'd like not, to try it. They're not going to make it because a Sid World Cup thirty five. <laughs> You're like face falling at me. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous. <laughs> Sid World Cup 35. That is my fork right there. <laughs> I just made Matt double face palm. <laughs> Kenny, are you double face palming too? No, I'd like that. I mean, because the thing is, people, normal people will scoff at it. But the people who actually know what the fuck they're talking about yeah. realize that it would actually be pretty cool. It well, yeah, and that's like people with dropper posts also. Like some people, you put a dropper post on their bike and they're like, I don't ever use it and I don't know why I'm carrying this around. And it's because they don't 
actually ride their bike that hard and it doesn't make a difference to them. Sure. Sure. But I mean, just in general, I mean, I'm totally on board with the fact that I I love the bigger sanctioned forks, but also I I would just love to appease that roughly 120 mil travel territory with a little bit bigger sanctions. So 34, 35, 36, whatever it's going to be. But and still just, keeping it kind of light. I mean, keep it reasonable. I don't, don't, get, light. don't get stupid about it because yeah. if you then you take away the stiffness that, I mean, makes that chassis good. So there's definitely a balance to strike there. But obviously, you know, Fox has shown that with their 34, they can make that chassis pretty damn light. And that thing still goes out to what, like 140 or 150 or something like that. So, I mean, they could even, if they really wanted to, they could make that thing even lighter. But I think it would be great if they came out with, like you said, some kind of 120 super light where it can is maximum 120, but you could go down to say 100 or 90 or whatever the hell you want to do. But 120 is the absolute maximum. And then also make another one in the lineup that is the 120 to 160 fork. So no, I would just no, keep, check that's this a, out. That's still just the pike. That's how you would do it. You would have to build, you would take the lowers of a pike and the stanchion, like the stanchions of a pike, and then you would build a carbon crown and a carbon steer tube and limit it to 120 travel. That would be like the way to cut a bunch of weight out of it. And you wouldn't. Absolutely. But you also, yeah, I don't know if you mentioned it, but you, you lop the uppers because otherwise there is truly at the 120 mil travel, there is truly stanchion that will only be below the lowest bushing that truly does nothing at that point. Well, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's where I was going though. Like, so you would have this carbon crown and then to yeah. ensure that you didn't snap off the carbon crown, you would do exactly what you said. It would ship with, it would ship at 120 with a option to go shorter with like a, a 100 air spring included. So you could run it at 100 or 120. Yeah. I honestly think under that is twofold. Anything that's got 80 millimeters of travel right now on the market is generally a small lady spike. And they don't even really make those. Like, are there any bikes now that are spec 80 from the factory? Yeah, I don't think there's really a yep. whole lot of them out there. The specialized, the specialized World fate cup or whatever. The specialized fate. I thought, didn't the World Cup come up, come out with a, like a shorter travel? That's not a. World Cup. It's. A, I think the the epic something. Yeah, or that's other. what I was saying. The specialized like yeah, epic it came World with a Cup ninety for a little while. Okay, that's what I, I thought it and was. And the shorter. all the stump jumpers are still set at ninety, and all the women's all the stump jumper hardtails are set at ninety, and all the fate, which is the women's hardtail, is set at eighty. Are they doing that just because of stack, or because they think women aren't going downhill, or? It's because they're tiny bikes. Okay. Let's just hope. Let's just hope it's because of stack. Because if it's yeah, for something yeah. else, then, well, then, then that's really stupid. It's no different than other companies that like, and in some of the other bikes, Specialized, I think changes the travel as you go through the size run. So, like a small or a, a small medium in the women's extra, like the really small women's small medium might be eighty, and then the other bikes might be ninety or a hundred. But they, I think it's just it's the faded twenty nine er. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're making an extra small 29er, if you have a 100 mil fork on it, like the front end's going to be way up there. So that that kind of... It- but I really I really do hope, I think it's a good conversation, I really hope that thing exists. Because on the surface, it sounds really dumb. And the people that don't really know what they're talking about, they they brush it off as Like really that dumb. customer you had in the shop the other day. <laughs> yeah, they, they brush it off as this dumb thing. They go, that's not necessary. I've got my SID, it's light or whatever. But the fact of the matter is they've never ridden that burlier fork because it was too heavy or they think it's too heavy, um, not because it necessarily truly is too heavy. But if they can come off with – like if they could just give you, say, a 100-gram penalty over I would the – I would want X-Lock on it too. Over the equivalent 120 SID, let's say. So let's just say the 120 SID with an axle and all that crap, it weighs – 1600 grams or thereabouts if they can make a 1700 gram fork with the same amount of travel that would be amazing yeah and so hopefully such a beast will exist at some point um we'll see i think just as the market is generally going towards bigger diameter stuff in general from bars and stems and forks 
and all that. I th- hopefully people will wise up and start doing that because I, I really do think that is the future for a cross country bike. Well, not only that, I think a lot of people are about to be very underwhelmed. I know the Bluto was underwhelming when I rode it, and they're now making RockShock Rebas in 110 boost spacing to run on 27.5 plus bikes, and I think that's going to be a very underwhelming fork. You have all this rubber touching the ground and 32 millimeter stanchions responsible for doing the steering, and it's it's going to be a disappointment. So. That bigger stanchion cross-country platform fork has to come as we move to bigger rubber on the ground. I think we need like a Fox 40 and 120. <laughs> I'd ride it. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, speaking of the uh, fatter stuff, um, did you find when you were at Hard Knocks with like how bumpy that course is and like the amount of time you were on your bike, did – did you think that that race face 35 bar was like just too stiff for that? I mean, to be honest, I have ridden my bike for so long now with the 35 mil stuff. Yeah. That I don't notice it anymore. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, um, but I don't notice it anymore. So, no, I don't think it was because the other two guys I was with and rode the whole time, they kind of said the same thing like, man, just in general, like towards the end, especially at last hour. You know, we were just getting beat up, yeah. you know, and, and one of them's on a Fox 34, um, which is a really. Yeah. Honest- yeah. How, you, you said that he, he got that and like he was, you were going to like use him as a guinea pig. Is that. So he really, really, really likes it. Um, he has nothing but good stuff to say about it. I have nothing but good stuff to say about it in the short period of time that I wrote it. Um, so he's running a traditional 31, eight handlebar, but he's got the Fox 34. And it's on an aluminum tall boy for a reference. Um, and he, he really liked it, but I think he still had some fatigue in general, just, you know, from kind of, you know, chafed up, uh, chafed up palms and just like, you know, kind of sore just cause it's just all roots. The whole yeah. thing is. So I don't think, don't get me wrong. I think that a 31, eight bar would, you could tell a difference. But I don't think it would make the ride into like, oh, a, a cakewalk. Like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine. Not a problem at all. Right. So anyway, for what that's worth, that was my experience. Um, it's, I seem to recall it honestly being about the same at the end as it was when I rode it with you, Andrea, when I had a, a regular bar on it. So, right. Yeah. Uh, so I was far, just so wondering because I, I, like, I've been really happy with mine so far, but it's all been like – relatively short rides like four maybe five hours and then i did uh the cougar slayer which is a ride from netherland to boulder for anyone who knows like geography of this area um and it was just over eight hours it was eight hours 18 minutes and like probably like six to seven hours in like my hands and my arms and like everything. And like, I I could tell, like, I was like this, I feel like I'm riding an alloy bar. Like I'm so uncomfortable with this. And it's like, that's what I had said before. Like when I first got the stuff for the Mach six was, you know, like this is, I like the way it handles and everything, but I think for like endurance racing, like really long stuff, it's going to be too stiff. And I think that I might have found, like, I don't know if I would eventually get used to it if I did more rides, like, in the six and seven hour area. But I definitely, like, I was, I think I could have been more comfortable if I did not have that bar and stem on for the eight hours and 18 minutes. Sure. I mean, I could definitely see that. I think if you have a either low quality or poorly maintained fork, that has really bad small bump compliance. You'll notice it. I was on the pike. Uh, you'll notice it way, way more for sure. But like even my Sid, even though it's a, a, a wet noodle of a fork, <laughs> um, it is maintained well and it does have two and a half weight oil in it. And the small bump compliance is fairly good. Yeah, it's all right on that fork. So anyway. I also, so I had to step away for just a minute so I didn't hear what Kenny just said. But I think I know how you could make a 35 mil bar more comfortable on the pike. How so? Add a a puck or token or whatever and lower the pressure like two PSI. Yeah. Uh, So kind of going back to talking about what 
we were talking about earlier, like me being picky versus particular versus able to ride with kind of just nah. Uh, I had a really good experience this week. Uh, I had two tire experiences this week. I put a, a new set of specialized tires on my cross bike that I ride in and out of work. And I was uh, 20th Avenue in, in Wheat Ridge or I guess Lakewood is is a downhill grade. And it takes about four minutes, five minutes to go down and from one main street to the next. And as I was cruising down, I was like, man, this is sick. They repaved the road. They've added maybe six inches to each side of the shoulder and didn't move the bike lane stripe. I'm like, this is dope. My bike lane just got bigger. My bike lane just got smoother. This thing is like singing like money. And I was running these specialized tires. They're called uh, Roubaix, and the size is 30-32. It's a 30-millimeter tread glued to a 32-millimeter casing. So you get a little extra cush, and it makes the tire overall just a tiny bit lighter because you're saving some of the tread off. And I run them at 65 PSI. I'm 155 pounds. I don't need a ton of pressure in them. Um, in my 28 road tires, I was running 75. I think I could go even lower in these. That's just my first initial pressure. Um, anyways, I'm jamming down 20th and I'm like, this is sick. And I'm just like, like humming in the big ring. Like rap horning? No, not rap like horning. Just, rap horn as you're just going down like the street. where your tires are just like singing. And I look up and I'm like, oh, homies had to go start Labor Day weekend. They ran out of asphalt. And about the last half of it was ground out, but not re milled. Yeah, it had been milled, but it hadn't been repaved. And I just like Tom Booned myself, so I did a line of coke off of my stem, and then uh, <laughs> no joke, I put it in the eleven, and just because it's downhill, you're doing like twenty four without really pedaling hard, and I just put it in the eleven and started mashing on like the ground out milled out pavement and it just ate every single bit of it up so fat road tires are pretty great i have a little bit of that under the tape bar gel only on the tops of that bike too and i was holding the tops and just drilling it across that milled up pavement and it was i was like god this is really comfortable and i was like i wonder how fast i'm going and i looked down and my garmin was like vibrating so hard it was hard to read and i'm like oh 27 on like milled out asphalt that's pretty dope yeah <laughs> uh and in that same vein of tires, I've been running a Maxxis tire on the back of my bike that I don't know what it is. It's a prototype tire that they sent. I got prototype tires once. Um, when they I send, think it's actually like an IR. No, it's a CST tire. Maxxis yeah, and CST C- are the yeah. same company, but it's a CST that was sent out by Maxxis. Uh, anyways, they don't tell you what type of casing or anything it is, and I put a new Ardent 2.2. 2.5 EXO tubeless ready on the back of my bike and that old tire was definitely tubeless ready it felt like it the casing was very rubbery and vinyl-y like a tubeless ready casing is but it could not have been EXO because I put the same pressure in it um, I did a caliper test or a caliper measurement and the tires are within two millimeters of the same size of one another and running the same pressure the Ardent was way stiffer or the EXO tubeless ready Ardent was way stiffer um so just keep that in mind, people. As you change your tires, if your casing changes, your pressure needs to change as well. Sorry, I'm trying to look up on the CST website of to what? see if that tire actually exists now out of prototype. So do you have anything else, Kenny? No, I saw a super awesome video of a dude doing A-line on a cyclocross bike. And I know how angry that makes you Matt, like when people shoot videos of like doing things on bikes that you're not supposed to do and like you get that's like your pet peeve but regardless you should go watch it because it's fucking hilarious because the dude's just like having fun he's like well, you know it, it is just it's hilarious i did watch it and i don't hate it that, something about something about it i just liked it like it was so just, that to me is different it was, it was simple it was like pretty quick pretty simple like the dude crashes once and he laughs yeah, he like slides out at high speed. Yeah, it was, I just thought it was a cool video. Um, it looks a little bit like the heathen. So what I found is the trials videos bum me out because they're not actually doing cool shit. They're doing stuff that's just hard on a road bike 
like trial stuff that's hard on a road bike. If sure. you watch real trials videos, those dudes you get like way bucker, way gnarlier, way nastier, right? And this is an example of and I'm not saying that most people could do the trial stuff that you see in those videos on a road bike, but this is stuff that people or even on a trials bike. But this is stuff that people like really want to do that's made and laid out and should be easily accomplished on Again, anything with like a 34 or larger stanchion, you should be able to ride that bike or ride it, you know, and here he is just ripping it. Uh, the thing that I really want to know is what his pressure had to be so he didn't pinch flat it. Cause he, it was bumpy. It was oh, really yeah. bumpy and he was yeah, that, raging that one, it. That one berm he went through, he looked like he was about to lose it. Like just, and then the bike was just going everywhere. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. So I really respect that because it's, to me, it's so much different than all the trial stuff. And also it's the, it's the whole no one gives a shit about trials unless you make it more of a spectacle and you're doing it on a road bike. I would love to watch some some good trials videos. Like I just haven't ever done it because I'm bad like that. I don't get into the media online. But regardless, I saw the video and it made me smile. So yeah, I, I watched it too. It was really good. I um, just wanted to pass that along. I'll have to check it out. Oh yes, I am. Uh, I'm going to Interbike, uh, so I don't know. Oh damn! Are you gonna go know. with the shop? I doubt that. Yeah, yeah. I doubt that. Um, I doubt that you guys are going, but maybe you are. I have no idea. So I just want to throw that nope. out there. No. Nope. If you're there, uh-uh. <laughs> if you're there, I will be there. I am not a Vegas type of person, and I. The first year I went to Interbike, it was great, um, and it was a good like a good experience for helping me find sponsors in my search for sponsors and whatnot. The second year it was terrible and a big waste of money and time. And I hate Las Vegas. So, and also a big thing for us is no offense, but you just don't get the reps. You know, we have reps come in on a nearly weekly basis. So we see all the stuff like, well, you do. I don't, we're, we're in, like I guess you could say uh, Rocky Mountain States shops in the Rocky Mountain States have this unique advantage because there's so many shops and so many people on bikes that the reps are really out doing a good job. Um, I'm just going to call them out. Most of the reps that I've now retrospectively, most of the Memphis reps were just terrible. Oh yeah. For they, sure. they breeze through, they don't give a shit. Um, you know, we have people that come in the store and like really spend time with us and help us see the stuff and understand it. And to me, I think that we don't go to inter or as a company, we don't go to Interbike because there's no reason the stuff comes to us at this point. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's you a huge. You don't want to go see like the new China Carbon e bike? I don't. I had a customer, <laughs> I had a customer, I was helping a salesperson who was helping a customer and he was like, yeah, I special ordered this traditional bike through you guys. It's going to be an e bike. And I nearly just wanted to walk away and be like, e, 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 e. like it, it made my eye twitch. And I was like, you realize this bike's going to weigh 50 pounds and you're going to plow everything on it, right? He's Did like, you like ordered a bike and then what, like an e-bike kit? Yeah, he's getting like a China e-bike rear wheel for it. Oh, God. Uh, but what I told him is, look, man, here's the deal. What's going to happen is you're not going to be, a, I was like, he, the reason, I was like, this is going to be hard for you because you want to run big tires, but you're going to have to run high pressure. So you can't run mountain rims that are tough enough to deal with you plowing around on this bike because you can't run enough pressure in mountain rims not to pinch flat. But road rims, you're probably going to end up tearing them up because you heavy plow everything. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, what I mean is on your e-bike, you're going to go 20 miles an hour everywhere because you don't have to pedal that hard to go 20. And it's going to weigh 50 pounds. He's like, well, I don't, I don't think it'll be quite that much. I was like, look, my nice cross bike weighs 21 pounds. My alloy cross bike with nice parts is 21 pounds. So your e-bike is definitely going to weigh, if you're saying it's going to be 18 pounds in e-accessories, it's going to be a 50-pound bike. You're taking a steel frame. You're putting a bunch of e-stuff on it. You're going to end up weighing almost 50 pounds. And... What's going to happen is you can't lift for little holes and stuff. You just plow. If you don't miss it, you plow it. So you're just going to plow everything on this. I was like, it, it's going to be really hard on parts. And he was like, Ugh. 
I'm like, sorry, man, but it, it, and it just bugged the whole. No, e- it's, t- it's totally true because I almost broke you guys, uh, your turbo that you had out there. Well, yeah, <laughs> like you jumped a big speed hump at like 25 on it, and it like. Well, that's because that's what I wanted to do it, but then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm in the air on this 60 pound bike, and I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be really bad. <laughs> It's kind of like it's kind of like when you drink a bunch of like vodka and you're like, yeah, this is a great idea, and then you're like, this oh, is God. not a great idea. You have like a sober moment where you're like, oh, I've yep. really screwed up. <laughs> it's pretty much, the, and that's that's my big, I would say, sadness is all these um, all these parts aren't really rated. Not it's not aren't really they're not rated for a vehicle like that. And they're being used in that way. And unfortunately, it's only a matter of time before someone becomes injured. And I have a feeling it's going to be someone that's not responsible. Um, in some ways, you start to become that drunk driver type person where you're you're out of control and someone else pays the price for it. Um, my coworkers that commute a lot, nearly every one of them has had a bad incident where someone on the path on an e-bike nearly smokes them because they they whiskey throttle through the corner on the path and nearly hit someone or, or they just run down the path. And, you know, what I've come to decide is that they, the people that get e-bikes, they just want to be the biggest dick on the, I don't think that's true about uh, everyone. uh, Let me finish. All right. They want to be the biggest dick on the, the place that they're riding. So they don't have the, the confidence and the personal like growth and humility to learn to ride a motorcycle and buy a motorcycle that costs the same as their e-bike they're buying and then just go 45 or do 70 on the interstate. No, they want to get on the bike path and be the biggest, strongest vehicle on the path, and they want to rule that space. And that's just not fair because there's someone that's a, a, a person that, wants to control things and they're they, I don't I think that's a pretty broad generalization you're making. I mean I, I think there are definitely people out there that, that is true for but I mean like Steve Dumbhitty, he he rides an e bike as a commuter. It's like a, a towny e bike and it's it's cool. Like it's really neat and I don't think he does that, but I mean I'm not saying there aren't people out there like that. I'm just saying that I don't think all of them are like that. I believe that the the low confidence, high abrasive customer is more standard. And the Steve Domahitty who uses his commuter, normal commuter, is more the exception. I don't believe that here in America, your normal commuter is the, is the rule and your big macho over-the-top dude is the exception. That's my take on it. And that's from working somewhere that sells e-bikes. I mean, heaven forbid there's a problem with one and we have to deal with it because those people call every hour. Where's my bike? Where's my bike? What do you mean you haven't figured it out yet? And it's just frustrating. What's interesting is, I think you, by the way, I think you said that backwards, Matt. But regardless, um, because you said that the macho people are the exception. No, I mean they're the rule, and like That's, the yeah, regular sure. commuter is the exception. Now, if you go overseas, people just use them like commuter bikes. Sure, sure. But what's interesting is, and again, this is—I don't have a whole lot of ground for this, but just me more recently being a little bit more interested in the e-bike thing, just for my own personal benefit, like just understanding what's out there and all that. Just reading some of these blogs and reading people's build stuff and seeing pictures. I get the vibe that a lot of the people that want to build these things kind of are the way that Matt describes them. And again, I can't, I can't completely nail down the person on the other side of the keyboard who's writing these things, but I have a pretty damn good idea <laughs> uh, from the way in which they, they write and all that, that they are, again, that kind of person that they want to go and maybe not, maybe they don't realize it's what they're doing. But they want to be the strongest person on the bike path. They want to rule the space that they're comfortable within rather than breaking into the next space and being one of the smaller fish in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that really, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're actually really 
kind of onto something uh, there. And again, I don't want to generalize, but I definitely think that a, a vast majority in the United States are that way. There's absolutely exceptions to the rule. I know there's handicapped folks, and there are people that truly want to commute in a in a non high impact way and all this kind of way. stuff. Exactly. I totally understand that those people truly do exist. But but if you just look at the stuff that's out there and I understand there's also people trying to push the envelope on what's technologically possible and I can appreciate that. Like, hey, I want to make an e bike that's really fast and really light, you know, because I it's a challenge. And I, I get that. I understand that and I appreciate that. Um, but at the same time, there's also these hobby people that are like, I want to go, I want to go really effing fast on my Walmart bike, uh, down the bike path. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's kind of sketchy. It really is sketchy. Right. There's definitely a fine line between the dude that wants to get it. Cause in e-bikes, things only go faster when you get lighter at some point. So if you can say, well, I have a 25 minute e-bike commute and I want to do it on smaller battery. That starts to pay off exponentially because if you can go from like a 25 pound battery down to like a single like four cell lipo, then you've made huge improvements because you're not carrying as much weight. And sure. like there's people out there that I'm sure are doing that. But yeah, I definitely believe there's there's more people that are that are closer to the dude putting a weeder engine on a on a Target <laughs> bike than there are people that are trying to squeeze 25 minutes out of their four cell lipo. No, you're right. I mean, it, it's yeah. And it's interesting. And also, a lot of the people are, and it's not a bad thing necessarily, but again, a lot of the blogs I'm reading, and I understand they are DIY type places, these people are so damn cheap. And and it's going to get them in trouble because they're, I mean, there's already so many funny pictures of people like ripping dropouts out of forks because, you know, the fork's not made to take oh, 10 Oh, man, we got to look up e-bike we, fails on YouTube. Oh, um, they're, oh, they're hilarious. And what's really funny is we have a customer who has a Serata. His wife has a Serata. He has a matching Serata. And unfortunately, and he used to work for us. He's, he, when he retired from his first job, he got a job with us. And then after his health took a turn, he, you know, stopped working altogether finally. But he would be the perfect candidate because he had a stroke and he doesn't have the muscle coordination. He can walk with a cane and an ankle brace, but he doesn't have the muscle coordination to ride anymore. So him and his wife, this, this guy's old, he's 65, and he's not able to ride with his wife anymore. Something that they've done is a lifelong hobby. He's a perfect candidate for an e-bike because him and his wife could still go ride together. Something that they've done together for years and love and enjoy. But that's not the type of customer that we have here in the States. So. With that said, I mean, we've ripped on e-bikes so many times. We talked about pikes, tires, and e-bikes today. It's been a Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's fascinating really the e-bike thing because it's this growing thing and there's not a lot of rules yet and like it's it's going to be interesting. Again, you're right. Someone's going to get majorly hurt or kill someone and or so, you know, someone's e-bike's going to rip in half or whatever the hell it's going to be and it's going to bring a lot of attention to it you know so i mean we got to be prepared for it because it, it's gonna happen so i mean i think it's fascinating not to beat it to death but well, it really here, is fascinating to talk about it because there are so many facets of it like there are justifications for it i think that are absolutely justified like like handicap tags yeah so this is something that i want to butt in and like really drive home so what kenny's saying is someone's going to get hurt this is so there was a company that was starting to form in memphis and i got to ride their prototype a few times and something that it did that was extremely frustrating as dude wanting to like rip around and do dumb things on this bike to try to break it, which is what they wanted us to do. It was, it was frustrating, but it's really good. Uh, the brakes on the e-bike work just like the brakes in your car do when you're running cruise control. So if you touch the brake, all e-assistance, it, it totally killed the system. So you could be pedaling as hard as you want, e-assist, full bore, and as soon as you touch the brakes, all e-assist cuts out. And so you couldn't ride a wheelie on it. You couldn't ride a wheelie on it. If you ever had to touch the brakes, you lost it. So it's a lot like a scooter. Like you can't lift, right? On right. the scooter with a centrifugal clutch, if you wheelie it, you kind of got to just know what you're doing, clock it up, and roll with it. And that's <laughs> that's sort of how it was on the uh, the doodad, the the. The uh, the cruiser you could not touch Electric the brake. Cruiser. You couldn't touch the brake because it would it would cut all e. 
assist. But unfortunately, a lot of this stuff doesn't do that. So the Specialized doesn't do that. You can be full bore race car style, like hammering through a corner and like feathering the rear brake to check your speed instead of letting off the pedals. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's going to let people do more whiskey throttle type situations. And, and it just... Yeah, there there needs to be a lot of standardization, and there's going to be a ton of growing pains involved with this. So, we don't have any donations for this evening. We didn't have any listener questions for this evening. Uh, we I don't I don't personally have anything else that I want to beat to death. Oh, I I thought of something else, and I I can't remember what it is now. And I know as soon as we hang up, I'm going to think of it and be like, no, start recording again. We'll write it down and talk about it next week. It's fine. It'll be sick. All right. I'm still trying to sit here and think about it. Kenny, do you need to discuss anything else? No, I think we got it covered. Dude, we we just oh, hammered you. I remember what it was now. Um, so in a few weeks, uh, well, next weekend is Vapor Trail, which I still don't really want to race, but I may go ride around and slide it anyway. Um, but anyway, um, after that, Around the beginning of October is 24-Hour Worlds. Um, one of my 9250 teammates, Tim Lutz, who also last year, I think it was last year, last year or the year before, was second place in the CTR. Like, fast dude, um, a little bit nuts, but, you know, I mean, all of the, like, fast endurance, like, super ultra endurance dudes, I think, are like that. Or, and ladies, um, you know, a little bit crazy, um, super nice guy. He was looking for a mechanic to go to Worlds with him, <clears throat> or to meet him at Worlds in Northern California, and, uh, I was like, yeah, I know a mechanic that can go with you, I'll go. <laughs> and so, I'm going to go and be mechanic slash crew person for Tim at 24 Worlds. He's been working with Linda... Um, shit, I, I don't know how to say her last name. It doesn't matter. Wallenfels, some, it's something like that. You can, I mean, everyone knows, everyone who does endurance stuff knows who she is because she's one of the best coaches out there. Um, yeah, so he's been working with her and getting stupidly strong, like even more stupidly strong than he already was. So hopefully, uh, he's going to be, he's going to be up there. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll take over like Mountain Bike Radio Instagram account and, and at Worlds and uh, do some photos and stuff like that. That's what I, that's what I was trying to think of that I couldn't think of before. So I'm happy now. Are we ready to wrap it up? Yeah, awesome. As always, we do appreciate you listening. We wouldn't spend our time doing this if you didn't listen. So thank you very much. If you have any questions, email them to info at mountainbikeradio.com. We're happy to field them on the air unless you're asking about wheels, and then we don't give a shit anymore. Go back and listen to the archives, and if you can't pick out wheels, then go out and bury your head in the sand because you obviously can't succeed from our help. Just get some Industry 9 wheels. Industry 9 or Stan's wheels. Nothing else. Yeah. All right, well, uh, that has been your latest edition of Just Riding Along. Um, it is time for you to hang up your headphones and get to work since you're listening to this at work. Um, or pay more attention to your driving because, you know, I know you listen to this on your, like, five-hour commute you do each day. Uh, good night. <laughs>